Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on August 2nd, 2020 by Pastor Rob Schaff. It's the first message in our sermon series, Gospel and Cultural Fluency. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. Thanks for listening. Before COVID hit, one of my favorite things to do was to go to the Metropolis at Metrotown Mall. I'm a bit of a nerd, so I like to buy model robots to put together and get graphic novels at the comic book stores to read and go to the Apple Store and the Microsoft Store and the Samsung Store and see and get hands-on with all the new cool technology. And another thing that I enjoy about Metrotown uh, is all of the different cultures and people groups and languages that are represented. And sometimes I'll sit in the food court eating and I'll just listen to the crowd of people that are moving around me. And I'm, you know, I'm casually eavesdropping, trying to uh, distinguish all the different languages, trying to see if I can figure out what they're saying. And for the most part, I can barely even tell what languages they're speaking. But once in a while, um, I'll pick out a word that I know, and I can at least take a good guess at what language they might be speaking. Maybe it's Mandarin or Cantonese or French or Korean or Japanese or German or Dutch or Spanish or Portuguese or, oh man, who knows, so many. So cool to hear all those languages. Now, I've watched Dora the Explorer, so I can speak and understand exactly 15 Spanish words. And if someone were to speak really slowly in French, I can pick out enough of the words to understand the general thrust of what they're getting at. Um, I can speak French as well as anyone that went through Saskatchewan's public school system from grades kindergarten to grade six. Bonjour! I've read enough French packaging that I can piece a bit together here and there I loves me some pomplamoose. Now I'm fluent in English, but that is all. Some people are fluent in two or three languages and I really envy them. They can speak and think and they can even dream in multiple languages, but not me. Uh, It's English for me. So if I actually wanted to jump in on a conversation that some people are having, but they aren't speaking English, they're speaking some other language. um, At this point in my life, the only hope that I have of joining their conversation would be for them to adjust to me for them to speak English. Now, you need to understand a conversation before you can really contribute to it. So that's true when you're talking to another person, and it's the same actually when we as Christians interact with our broader culture. If we can't speak the language, that's a problem if we want to join the conversation. So today we are starting a new sermon series called Gospel and Cultural Fluency. Today's sermon is actually going to be very short with a very long introduction. This series is about, uh, going to be about dressing cultural desires and values and then calibrating our desires and values to the gospel. There are a lot of game pieces that I need to get on the table for this sermon series before we can really play the game, and that's kind of what this long intro is all about. So stick with me. Gospel and cultural fluency is a topic that I've been thinking a lot over the last year, ever since I got back from my sabbatical. When I came back and I got to share with everyone at Sardis what I had learned, I boiled my sabbatical classes and interviews and readings all down to this statement. The church, rooted in Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, must exercise both gospel fluency and cultural fluency. Becoming fluent in the gospel and in the culture is the disciples' work. This is what authentic God-glorifying Christian witness looks like in our post-Christian society. 
Fluency means having the ability to articulate oneself easily and accurately. People who are fluent in a language speak and think and dream in that language. Imagine that the gospel is a language and imagine our culture is a language. Do you speak it? Can you understand it? Do you know a word or two or are you fluent in it? Do you think in it? Can you dream in it? I believe that disciples of Christ must know the gospel so well that we embody it in all areas of our life, living it, speaking it, thinking it, dreaming it. We are fluent in the gospel. And I believe that knowing our culture so well that we can understand it and speak it with it and dream with it, we must become fluent in our culture so that we can speak gospel to it in a way that is understood. Because the gospel and our culture are two different languages, and it's our job to be fluent in both so we can translate. One author put it like this, People in our secular culture may reject the gospel. However, it is to our shame if they reject it simply because they never encountered it expressed in accessible terms and in a life of authentic discipleship. In other words, people rejecting the gospel because they don't believe it is one thing. But if people reject the gospel because they've never really run into it, because it wasn't ever expressed to them in a word or deed that they would care to try and understand, well, that's on, that's on us. That's our problem. And we should probably address it. Because many people reject Christianity long before they've ever even heard the gospel. If I can't speak our cultural language, that's a problem if I want to introduce the gospel into the conversation of our culture. And if I gain the chance to speak into our cultural conversation, but I'm not gospel fluent, I won't say anything worth saying when the time comes up. The gospel won't be heard. And there are two problems here. One, our culture doesn't easily see the word and deed of my Christianity to be something that is really worth their effort to understand. And two, this is made even worse, especially if the word and deed of my faith aren't lived out and expressed fluently, or put another way, if I don't even know why I live as a Christian. Jeff Vanderstelt writes, We need to become gospel-fluent people. We need to know how to believe and speak the truths of the gospel in and into the everyday stuff of life. In other words, we need to know how to address the struggles of life and the everyday activities we engage in with what is true of Jesus. Gospel-fluent gospel people think, feel, and perceive everything in light of what has been accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. They see the world differently. Regarding cultural fluency, the language of our culture is the values and the desires behind the values that people in our culture hold on to. Contributing to the cultural conversation requires us to understand the desires behind the values that we observe in people, speaking to them in a way that shows love and a desire to understand that results in a dialogue. This could be on a stage addressing the entire nation. This could be the next time you're walking your dog and you make small talk with people on the trail. Or maybe it's when you're making conversation with your coworkers or the next time you sit down with extended family. It's whenever you're talking to someone in and from our cultural context. Now about these values and desires, one of my profs, Clay Cook, put it this way. Sometimes we think of people like buckets, fill them with the right thoughts, the right beliefs, and they'll get it right. But people don't work that way. 
People aren't buckets, they're arrows. Arrows of desire shot and moving towards the target, and the target is the object of their desire. Why are people arrows and not buckets? Well, it's because desiring is inherent to humanity. It's just a fact of being a person. Humans desire, we love, we move towards whatever we desire. We don't just sit around like a bucket collecting the right stuff. It's just not how it works. Your heart is a love pump that can't be turned off. It wants something to love. Augustine says that who you are is defined by what you ultimately want and desire and love. And Greg Beale says that you resemble what you revere for your ruin or your restoration. John Calvin says that the human heart is an idol factory constantly churning out new objects that we desire to worship. And Augustine again says, when your love is rightly directed and all the things we do that is how we follow Christ. People desire and move towards what they love. Culture is made up of people who desire things. Values are formed out of these desires, and this group of people then tells stories about what the ultimate meaning and purpose of life is, about what people are important and why, and what is good and what isn't, and what truth is, and what freedoms are inherent and which must be fought for in defining the boundaries of success and happiness and morality, of what true power is, what is worth glorifying, about what is worth dying for, what is of value. So, you know, get money, become successful, command and conquer over all your antagonists, extend your influence, attain your dreams, figure out what's right for you, find out who you really are, love these things, pursue these values to obtain what you desire, which is what? A happy, whole, fulfilled, good life? You know, I don't know, what is it that people desire? Now, Jesus has different values that come from a different desire. Jesus valued the poor, those who mourn, the meek, the persecuted, the broken. He values peacemakers. He values turning the other cheek. He values losing your life so that you can find it. So these values, what did Jesus desire? Often we feel this need to correct the values of our culture. We want to speak and live out true values and want people to adopt them for themselves. But if we don't try to understand and address their underlying desires that inform their values, we're just trying to get people to follow rules that they aren't going to believe in. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't even know what it is that we desire that stands behind the values that we are championing. If you've ever thought to yourself, man, if I weren't a Christian, it would be great because I could fill in the blank. Well, then you know on some level what I'm talking about. We know we're supposed to evangelize, so we try, but we don't even really know if we fully believe the gospel for ourselves. And this type of witness is a little bit like trying to pick the speck out of a brother's eye while ignoring the plank in our own. It isn't our job to give an unbelieving culture a list of superior Christian values for them to live out. It's our job to introduce them to our desire, who is Jesus, who changes every value a person could ever have. And if we don't desire Jesus, then we have no business evangelizing. First, a person must be made a disciple of Jesus and baptized as a believer in Jesus and then taught to obey everything Jesus commanded. If you don't know Jesus, and if you don't desire Jesus, 
then obedience is just a legal system driving you towards self-righteousness. And this is really dangerous temptation for us who call ourselves Christians. And I think it's one big reason why the good news, the good news that we bring to the cultural conversation sounds to a lot of people like just a bunch of meaningless babble. Jeff Vanderstelt tells a story that helps illustrate this point. He says, a guy comes to his pastor and says, oh, I've just had a horrible, awful week. And the pastor says, why? And the guy says, I looked at pornography again. I'm a huge failure. I feel like garbage. And the pastor says, okay, that's a bummer. But out of curiosity, what would have made this be a good week? And the guy says, well, when I don't look at pornography and I can claim victory over my sin, that's a good week. And the pastor says, okay. So a bad week is when you sin and recognize your need for Jesus, and a good week is when you feel like you're good enough that you don't even need Jesus? This story illustrates a deep irony. As Christians, we would rather feel good about ourselves than recognize our need for a Savior. When we live this way, we are in desire denial, and we haven't embraced a simple gospel truth that we are all sinners in need of Jesus to save us always. Which would you rather be? A heinous sinner who catches a glimpse of Jesus and desires more of Jesus, or a person who flawlessly goes through the righteous motions of their life but doesn't desire Jesus at all? Are those the only two options, you might be asking? Well, do we ever stop being sinners? We are all sinners. We all need Jesus. Do we desire Jesus? Desiring Jesus in every single aspect of our lives. That's what gospel fluency is. That's what the world needs Christians to be. And it's incredibly difficult because it is possible to love all the Christian values, but to miss out altogether on desiring Christ, which actually is what should inform our values to begin with. So cultural fluency means seeking to understand people for who they are on their own terms, caring enough about them to understand their desires that inform their values, and becoming gospel fluent means learning to desire Jesus and gospel truth in every area and every aspect of our lives. Now, like learning any language, the key is to practice. We practice our cultural fluency whenever we talk to someone and love them enough to understand their desires behind their values. When we befriend people who don't believe what we do and we love them for who they are, we're practicing cultural fluency. And we practice gospel fluency whenever we gather as a church to learn, to apply teaching to our lives, to worship, to confess the areas of our unbelief to one another, to repent, turning away from our sins, turning back towards our Savior, recalibrating our desires to be Jesus. My prof, Clay Cook, is discouraged when he looks at churches in our culture because he observes that most churches are designed to fill buckets with the right stuff and not to point arrows in the right direction. And so start us fellowship. Let's be a church that gathers to learn what it means to desire Jesus and believe the gospel in every aspect of our lives. Then we take our gospel fluency, we translate it for a culture that doesn't understand it. So that's the long intro that has hopefully set the pieces on the game board so that the rest of this sermon series can speak to the different cultural values and desires that we as Christians need to understand if we're going to be effective in living as faithful disciples who share the gospel. Intro to the series, now over, and now we can get to today's short sermon. Now, the reason it's important to be culturally fluent is so that we can speak the language of our culture. The reason it's important to be gospel fluent 
so that we have something that is worth saying to our culture. And I believe that desiring Jesus in everything and communicating this desire to everyone is the disciples' work. So how do we do this? Well, Colossians 4, 2-6 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open, our, may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This passage is jam-packed with answers to how do we do this? First, be watchful and thankful in prayer. Watchful in prayer means praying with an awareness of what's around you. Now, back when I went to San Francisco on a missions trip with our youth group, uh, they told us down there, you've been taught to pray with your eyes closed, and a big part of this trip will be walking around the city and praying, but you need to keep your eyes open. Pray with your eyes open because you need to be alert and aware of your surroundings. Uh, For one thing, you need to be safe, but really mainly, You need to keep your eyes open so that you can be seeing what it is to pray for. Watchful prayer knows what to pray for because we're aware of what's going on in our culture and in the lives of the people around us. And we are looking into the desires behind their values and we see in people and we see lived out in our culture. Thankful prayer recognizes the insurmountable obstacles and difficulties we observe in our culture and recognizes God's ability to work anyways. And we need to be both watchful and thankful in our prayers, because one without the other will lead to disconnect. Watchfulness without thankfulness leads to discouragement, and thankfulness without watchfulness leads to irrelevance. Second, notice that Paul is asking for God to open the door for his message. Now, there's a big difference between a door being open for you and you prying open a locked door. Paul was successful as an evangelist because God opened the doors and then Paul walked through them. How do you tell the difference between a locked door and an open door? There's only one way. It takes practice. You pray for it, you watch for it, and you walk through it. Walking away from an open door is as bad as prying open a locked door. So do you believe that God will open the door for you to share Jesus with people? And how do you find the courage to walk through that door once you find an open door? Third, notice what Paul is proclaiming, the mystery of Christ. The verb translated proclaim it clearly literally means reveal or make manifest. Paul isn't explaining every Christian value that exists with clarity. He is announcing the mystery of Christ with clarity, and he's obligated to do it in a way that brings true knowledge and understanding to his hearers. When he preaches to non-believers, he's introducing people to Jesus. Fourth, towards outsiders, be wise in the word and deed of your life as you live towards outsiders. Phrased another way, we, are we actively living towards outsiders in wise word and deed? Is our life oriented towards the other person? Paul isn't saying for us to live out wise actions towards outsiders because, boy, if you're foolish, They're going to get you, so you better be careful. He's saying, live out wise action towards outsiders because what has been a benefit to you and wisdom will also be a benefit to them. 
The chance to act wisely towards an outsider is for the good of the outsider, and it is an opportunity we are supposed to snatch up like a good bargain. It's one of those open doors that Paul is praying for. Fifth, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Christians, we are saved by God's grace because he loves us. We didn't earn salvation or his love. It's grace. We aren't saved because we are awesome and we deserve it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's only by God's grace that we have Jesus. People don't actually have to deserve the gospel or our time or our attention or our love before we give it to them. It's not grace if they have to deserve it, right? So in our conversation, can we try and remember to pass on the grace that we ourselves have received? Let our conversation be full of the same grace that we bank on day in, day out. And salt. Salt makes food taste better. It's a flavor enhancer. Salt is to food what genuine affection and attention is to conversation. It's bland talking at someone who doesn't care. But it's nice talking with someone who genuinely cares about you and is engaging with you. Be salt. Care genuinely about the people that you're talking to. And then Paul ends, do these things so that you may know how to answer everyone. If you are living oriented towards outsiders with wisdom in word and deed, people will have questions they'd like answered because our values are different and people will wonder why. When people question our values, we introduce them to our desire, who is Jesus. Our job isn't to fill people with the right values like they're a bucket. Our job is to point them towards our desire, who is Jesus. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus, and God takes care of the rest. So when someone asks you a tough question about a Christian value that you just don't, don't know how to answer, and they're curious about, and maybe they even disagree with, or maybe they're even hostile towards that value, don't get defensive. Don't become argumentative. Don't get corrective. Instead, after listening and seeking to understand that person's values and desires and what makes them tick, and seeking to understand the question that they have asked of you, take a deep breath, and in genuine love, with grace, seasoned with salt, talk about how you desire Jesus and how he's changed what you value. In the song, Good, Good Father, there's a line that goes, I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide. I believe that to be true. I believe God is the answer and has the answers people are searching for in life. Um, but I know how tempting it is as a Christian to become the provider of answers for people instead of just simply introducing them to the person, the one who provides all the answers, and that's Jesus. If I could add a line to that worship song, I think it would go something like this. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers only you provide, and help me to do everything I can to help those people searching for answers find you, because once they find you, they start finding answers. And because you did everything possible to find me, I want to do the same. I want them to have you too, because I love them as you love them. Now, it doesn't rhyme. Uh, granted, my songwriting is a little bit rusty, but I think you get the sentiment. I asked a question earlier and I left it unanswered. I said, Jesus taught a different set of values informed by a very different desire. So what did Jesus desire? Big picture. I think John 3.16 give us some insight into Jesus' desire. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do we desire Jesus? Do we desire what Jesus desired? If you desire Jesus, then you will desire what Jesus desired. Jesus loved the world so much that he died for it. He died for us. And should we be willing to do any less? We've got the gospel, and we live in a culture of people who desire something, searching for answers anywhere they can. They need to meet Jesus just like we have. But so often the good news gets lost in the translation. People are rejecting something they can't care to try and understand. Are we willing to put in the work so that we can communicate and translate the gospel clearly to make Jesus manifest to those who don't know him? That means practicing gospel in church. And that's why church is so important. Becoming fluent in gospel, coming to desire Jesus in every aspect of our lives so that we have something worth saying when people ask so we can point people to Jesus. And that means loving people who are, uh, loving people for who they are and understanding their desires and their values, even if we don't share them, so that we can speak truth into their lives when we're given the chance. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to love people the way you love them, meeting them where they're at, imperfect people with broken values in need of your grace. Open doors for us so we can introduce them to Jesus. May our conversations and our actions towards everyone be full of grace, genuine love and affection and understanding so that when people ask, we can introduce them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here are some questions to discuss with your family or to call up a friend and talk about. Do you believe God opens the doors for you to share Jesus with people? How and what does that look like? When you talk about your beliefs with people, do you tend towards explaining and defending your values or talking about your desires? Which do you feel you understand better, the culture we live in or the gospel we believe in? Why do you feel that way? And what are some aspects of the gospel and of our culture that you don't understand but wish you did? What is something that our culture values that would be considered at odds with what, Christian, with, with what Christians value? What do you think might be the desire behind those values? Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.